Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. Our vision is to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, Lee Pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. Paul gives us a picture of Christ and the church through our most intimate relationship, marriage. And that relationship, we need to be sure we paint an accurate picture. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Well, we're continuing in uh, chapter 5 of Ephesians, the last part of the chapter. To me, this portion of Scripture seems, it almost seems out of place. It seems kind of weird. It seems like um, he's kind of gone a different direction. He spent all this time uh, talking about showing love and shining light and imitating God and living a life worthy of the calling, um, talking about God's power and his love and his grace, all these just great, powerful, dynamic truths and realities. And then all of a sudden, he starts talking about the husband and the wife and kids and servants and masters. And for me, it, it, it just seems totally out of place. At least, or at best, it's kind of a, a shift in thought. Then he jumps back in in chapter six and talks about spiritual warfare and all this great power and truth again. This seems a little weird and awkward to me. It's almost like, okay, I'm talking about all this really cool stuff. Now let's talk about this. But really when you look at it in detail and in context, it's really not out of place at all. The big picture of what he's trying to communicate in this part of the passage is everything that we've talked about Showing love, shining light, grace, love, all this stuff should be manifest through our most common and most normal relationships. Our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our kids, and our relationship in the workplace. Now in the text, and we'll read in a moment, it talks about servants and masters, and initially we probably think about modern day slavery, and we would all say, no, we don't believe in that, neither does Paul, and that's not really the context he's talking about here. In that day, many households not only would have the wife and kids, but it would have workers, servants, employees that would live in the house and and do the work as well. Paul's not advocating slavery here at all. Really what he's talking about is a bigger picture, what we might consider employers and employees in the workplace. What he's saying is in your most intimate, normal, common relationships that we have every day, his power, his love, imitating God, living a life, all of that should be manifest in those relationships so that everything we're talking about isn't just theoretical, but it really begins to play itself out in life. So that's the big picture of what he's talking about here, but then he kind of takes that big picture and he focuses it down to specific relationships. And he spends most of his time on the relationship of husband and wife. And so that's the the majority of the time that we're going to spend here um, this morning. Now, I know some of you aren't married, um, may never plan to be married, maybe one day you will be married, but even though you're not married presently, I hope there'll still be some spiritual nuggets here that you can pull out from. I know others of you have heard teachings and messages and conferences on marriage out the kazoo. You've, You've heard this stuff a billion times, and it's like, oh, great, here we go again. Some of you, maybe not. But again, my prayer is, regardless if you've heard a lot of this content, that God's spirit would still just make one or two nuggets that he can pull out that will minister to you this morning, that will speak to you this morning. Whether it's the big picture of how this applies to my relationship 
or the more specific picture of how it's going to apply. He talks about husband, wife, kids, and servant and masters, but we don't have time to cover all that this morning. He spends the majority of his time talking about husband and wife, so that's where we're gonna spend our time this morning. Before we get in the text, though, I, wanna visual, I want you to visualize, I wanna illustrate some family dynamics. And I've got a, I have a family coming up here going to help me. I've used this tug of war kind of illustration before in a different context. We're gonna do it again in this family context. And I want you to see <clears throat> four different family dynamics that are unhealthy dynamics. Tanya, if you'd kind of come over here and you can grab that in. Andy, grab that in. Okay, just kind of pull it tight a little bit. And you can just kind of stand to the side. I'm not gonna use you yet. These are unhealthy relationships. I want you to just to visualize, okay? The first thing I want you two guys to do is just drop the rope and let it lay on the floor. This is what I call the headless horseman. This is a family dynamic where nobody's leading. There's no, there's no leadership. The, the family and the, the marriage is just kind of just kind of struggling, just kind of out there, ethereal. There's no direction taking place. Now I want both of you to pick it up, if you would, and bring some tension and pull a little bit. Keep it civil, but just pull a little, little bit. <laughs> this is what I call a two-headed monster. This is when both the husband and the wife are both trying to lead. They're both trying to direct the direction of the relationship and the marriage, but the problem is typically when that's in place, typically you're pulling in two different directions and you're going in two different directions and that creates a lot of tension and a lot of stress in that relationship. Now you add to it, the, 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 the child, get right here in the middle if you would. We're not gonna talk a lot about children today, but I want you to see it. This is what I call the middleman. And we put the children right in the middle. And it's one of two scenarios. Either the world revolves around our kids. Our relationship revolves around our kids. Everything's about the kids. The kids are the most important thing going on anywhere, everywhere. And so life just revolves around the kids. That's unhealthy. Or it's what I, another picture, if, if you were to grab on that, and as you begin to tug, sometimes we can use our kids as the middlemen. And as we're trying to do the two-headed monster thing, we're both trying to lead. And so we want our kid on our side. So we're trying to pull him over here. Hey, you need to be with mama because this, this is what I, yeah. And dad said, no. And so he's stuck in the middle and we're using them kind of as pawns to get on our side and to validate what we're trying to do. That's an unhealthy relationship. The other way is, Logan, go pull that. Andy, you come over here with Tanja. And then again, y'all kind of pull together here. You're pulling there. This is just what I call the rebellious spirit. This is the rebellious spirit. This is that dynamic where the, the, the kids are just in massive rebellion. The parents are trying to rein it in. They're trying to, 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 to give some control and structure and the, the children are just rebelling. And here I'm not talking about normal rebellion. All of us, when we, when, if you have the, the, the children's age, everybody rebels, every kid rebels. There's, there's always that a little bit of conflict. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an unhealthy where the, the children are just a spirit of rebellion that's unhealthy. We're not talking about that much. But here's the last one that I want you to see. You drop that in. Come over there with your mom and dad. I'm going to pick this up. And I represent the world and everything fighting against the family. Here's the picture that Paul's trying to paint as he talks about this concept. That is, the ideal picture is all the family is together pulling in the same direction 
against the outside force, the outside pressure of the family. Everything that would come against the family to try to destroy the family. The idea picture is we want the family all on the same side, on the same team, pulling the same direction. And so that's what, thanks guys. That's what Paul is trying to say here. Yeah, give him a hand, y'all are great. You deserve an Oscar or an Emmy or whatever they do with those guys. But, but that's the picture Paul's trying to paint now is that everyone will be on the same side, pulling in the same direction. So with that visual, let's look at the text. Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. What we see here that Paul paints this picture, and he says marriage is a picture. It's a biblical picture. First and foremost, it's a picture of Christ and the church. In other words, marriage is more than simply a relationship between two people. It's more than a desire for two people to want to be together and to live together. It's deeper than just the physical realm. It's more intimate than simply romantic love. It's a picture of Christ and the church and how Christ relates to the church and the church relates to Christ. First, we see it's a picture of Christ's love for the church. Verse 23, he says he's our savior. Verse 25 says he loves the church. When he used the term Savior, he's talking about this unconditional love that he so loved us that he, that he gave his life for us. And it's Christ loves the church unconditionally. And we're to love people, our spouse in particular, the same way unconditionally. This may come to a shock, as a shock to some of you, but the person you married is not perfect. Aren't you glad you came for that truth bomb? <laughs> Your spouse isn't perfect, but we're to love unconditionally. Sometimes um, when I do weddings, uh, one of the phrases or one of the comments that I'll make in the wedding ceremony is, if you want to have a marriage that thrives, you need to be sure you do this one thing. Focus on the positives, not the negatives. We all have negatives. We all have faults. We all have sins. We all, we all blow it. And it's easy to begin to focus on those negative things about your spouse. But when you do, it just creates a lot of decay and a lot of issues and it's a lot of problems. So don't do that. Focus on the positives, not the negatives. When Denise and I were married, our pastor shared something about love with us that really stuck with me. And I've actually used this in a variety of wedding ceremonies too. 
He said there are three kinds of love. There's the if kind of love, which is if you do something, if you meet this, this condition, I'll love you. There's the because of kind of love. I love you because of you're pretty, you're rich, whatever. Both of those are conditional kinds of love. They're emotional kinds of love, and they're conditional. And he said, right now, you're just getting married, and most of your love is kind of like that. But I want your love to transform into the third kind of love, which is the in spite of kind of love. I love you in spite of your faults. I love you in spite of those little things that are irritating. I love you in spite of, that's the kind of love here that Christ loves us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's a picture of Christ's love, but it's also a picture of Christ's purpose. Look in verse 26. He said, part of his purpose is to make the church holy, to present her as a radiant church without stain, without blemish, holy and blameless. Christ is on a mission to improve the church, to bring the church, which is us, his bride, to bring the church into our full potential and our full position. And that's what should take place in our marriage relationship as well. That part of our desire is to help our spouse be everything our spouse can possibly be. To reach the full potential of our spouse. To allow this spouse and to encourage the spouse to be all that God created the spouse to be. In other words, we're helping in the sanctification process, if you will. So first Paul's given us this big picture of marriage. It's a picture of Christ's love for the church. But secondly... We see it's a picture of unity in plurality. We know that God is plural. He's singular in a plurality. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's one God. We believe in the oneness of God, but he has this plurality within the three of the Trinity. Look in verse 31. Here's a picture. It says, the two will become one flesh. So we have the plurality of two, but yet we see this picture of coming together in the unity of one. This may surprise you as well. Another truth nugget here I'm gonna throw at you. Men and women are different. Okay, aren't you glad you came this morning? Men and women are different. We all know that. There's all kinds of stats out there, and it's all general, okay? These are all generalities, but it, says, it does say that women typically speak about 20 words a day. Men speak about seven to 10,000 words a day. So that means women, don't try to have a deep conversation at 10.30 at night with your husband because he's not, it's not going to go well. He's used up all his words. He's not going to talk that much to you. It also says that when men are in their deepest sleep, that 70% of their brain shuts off. But when women are in their deepest sleep, 90% of their brain stays active. So that's why, guys, we can just sleep through a tornado. We can sleep through a bomb. But ladies, man, you'll wake up at the drop of a pen and then you're hitting your husband. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? No, hear what? That's why. They also say that men have compartments in their brain. So you can open a door and guys kind of work in that room. When they're done, they leave and they shut that door and then they go in another part and open that door and work there and shut that door. But women have all these doors open. They're all open all the same time, all the time. They just think differently. But you know why that is? Because we're different there's plurality, but God wants to take that plurality and bring unity because it's a picture of the plurality of God, the Father, God, the Son, and the God, the Holy Spirit, how they're three in one. And so now as husband and wife, we are two in one. And what Paul's saying is when we work together, when we use our differences 
and we utilize our differences, when we appreciate our differences and let those differences come together, things work out so much better. So he gives this kind of big picture for us of marriage. And then he gets a little more specific. And he talks specifically to the husband and then specifically to the wife. So let's talk about the husband first. He gives some, some uh, encouragement here, some direction, some responsibility that falls on the husband. The first one is that as the husband, you're to lead. You're to lead. That simply means to go ahead of. It means to go in front of, to go first. With the illustration we showed, no headless horsemen in the relationship and in the family. The husband's to lead. Look in verse 23. It says, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So we see two types of leadership here. The first is what I'll call spiritual leadership. The husband needs to provide spiritual leadership in the home. The husband should set the spiritual climate in the family and in the marriage. As a husband, you need to seek to follow Christ. You need to be pursuing Christ. You need to be initiating this relationship and prioritizing Christ in your life. The greatest thing you can do as husband and father, for that matter, is to love Jesus Christ and to pursue him and to work on your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here's the good news. You don't have to be perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about authenticity. We've already talked about we're all fallen. We all have faults. My wife knows that I'm not a perfect person. I don't follow Christ perfectly. So do my sons. That's not the issue. They don't need to see perfection, but they do need to see authenticity. And the best thing we can do as a husband and as a father is to pursue Christ ourselves. We do a lot of things from being sure what our at activities for our kids and being sure we're we're making a good living for the family. Be sure we're doing a lot of things for our family. And all the things that we do are good. But if we don't pursue that spiritual leadership dynamic, we're really missing out on the most impactful thing that we can do as a husband and as a father is to pursue Christ ourselves. Now, that's not a cure-all. Just because we as the husbands pursue Christ, that's not a cure-all. doesn't mean your kids still may not go wayward. It doesn't mean that there aren't going to be issues in your relationship with your spouse. It doesn't cure everything, but boy, it sure does help hone in what God wants to do in your relationship. So that's first is spiritual leadership. But then he describes what kind of leadership, and that's servant leadership. Again, it says that, that the man's the head of the wife like Christ is the head of the church. And how did Christ lead? What was his leadership style? It was servant leadership. Mark 10, 45, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In John 13, we see where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, the leadership team. And the point he's trying to make is if you're going to lead, you're going to lead from a servant's perspective. Leadership here in this marriage relationship, it's not about dominance. It's not about dictatorship. It's not about um, power. It's about service. It's about being a servant and serving your wife. It's serving your wife. Now, this was countercultural in this day. When Paul's writing this, for most of the culture at that day, the men dominated over women. It was a power struggle. Women would serve men, 
But to tell that men, you should serve women, that, that would be countercultural. But that's exactly what Paul's saying right here. He said, don't dominate over your wife. Be a servant to your wife. So we're to lead first. But then secondly, as the husband, you're to love. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. So husband, love your wives. How are we supposed to love our wives? Well, we love the way Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Well, he gave himself up for the church. He sacrificed himself for the church. So Paul's here is talking about sacrificial love. Now, it's not just, would, would you be willing to die for your wife? I think any of us would say, hey, if my wife's in trouble, something's going on and I can step in, I'd be willing to die for my wife so she can be spared. Absolutely. That's not what he's talking about. Not t- entirely. What he's talking about are you willing to sacrifice every day for your wife? What that means is put your wife's needs in front of your own. Put your wife's desires in front of your own. Do what your wife wants to do sometimes instead of what you want to do all the time. It's really talking about being the difference of being selfish. We can either be selfish or we can be sacrificial. And I don't know about most of you guys, but I know my basic nature is selfishness. And so I have to work at what we're talking about right here. It's easy to be selfish. It's easy for us to think about ourselves. This is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. This is the job I want to do. And it's just all about me. But what he's saying is, no, it's not all about you. It's all about her. And if you're going to love your wife the way Paul's telling us to love, we have to be willing to sacrifice our own desires and needs and wants and prioritize our wives. But then he gives us a third Uh, responsibility and that's to leave verse 31 he says a man will leave his father and mother and unite with his wife that word leave literally means to neglect just kind of leave behind what it's talking about here is your relationship with your wife should be so powerful and so intimate and so precious and so prioritized that it's as if you're neglecting and living behind every other relationship, including the relationship with your parents, your kids, your coworkers, your childhood friends, whoever. No other relationship should be in front of the relationship with your wife. That is the most powerful relationship. And you may neglect any other and every other relationship, but do not neglect that one. Because when you neglect that relationship, some really bad things can start to take place. So the encouragement for the man is to lead, to love, and to leave. Then he talks to the wife. So let's see what he has to say to the wife. The first one is, he talks about submission. Wives, you are to submit. Verse 22, I can already feel the tension. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, Wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Now, I know this is a hot topic in our culture, in our churches, in our society. This word submission is a hot topic. It's a politically correct dynamo. Um, But we want to talk about what Scripture here is going to to talk about on it. Let me say this first, because we're new. Our church is new. And so I want you to be sure that you know where River Fellowship stands River Fellowship is pro-women, 
okay? River Fellowship believes in women in ministry. We believe women have a strategically important place in the church, in the community, in the world. Uh, we believe in the equality of women. We're not anti-women at all. I just want you to know that since we're brand new. We are very pro-women. But so is Paul. So is Ephesians 5 when it's interpreted appropriately. So let me taste this right before we get into it. In Scripture, when you go into Scripture, you have, you have three choices of how you can view the Bible and how you can respond to it and relate to it. The first is you can say it's not God's Word. It's irrelevant. It's just a writing. It's not really the Bible. It's not Scripture. It's not authoritative at all. So I don't have to listen to it. It's, it's just another book. So it has no authority. Therefore, I'll disregard whatever I want to disregard. That's one option. Second option is I can use it for my benefit. I can misapply it. I can misquote it. I can misinterpret it. In other words, I can make it say what I want to make it say. I'll use it for my advantage. That's an option. The third option is you claim the authority of Scripture and you seek to interpret it and apply it appropriately. Now, None of us are perfect. None of our theologies are perfect. So when you seek to apply scripture, we can mess that up sometimes. But at least the intent is to apply it appropriately. So if you take that concept and apply it to this element of submission, we have three options of how we can approach what he says when he says, why submit to your husband? One, we can say, the scripture is not God's word. It's irrelevant. That's stupid. And I'm not going to do it. And there's no such thing as why submitting to her husband. Or we can misapply it and misinterpret it and use it to my advantage. And a lot of people in, in society and back societies have done that very thing. They've misapplied it and used it as a way to, to dominate women. Or we can say scripture is authoritative and when it says this, what does that mean? We have to interpret it because obviously we have to adhere to it if it's in scripture, but we have to apply it pr appropriately. So with all that said, what does it mean when it says wives Submit to your husbands as Christ submits to the church. Well, let me start first with what it doesn't mean because that'll be easier. Make it more clear. First, submission does not mean obedience. Doesn't mean obedience. Doesn't mean that you're to be controlled by the husband, told what to do by your husband, that, that there's unnegotiable compliance with the husband, that you have no voice. All you have to do is simply do what you're told. That's not what submission is all about. Denise and I sometimes, just over the years, we do this jokingly. It's all in jest. It's all in fun. We're all just kind of goofing around. That's just the way we are. But we'll start maybe talking about hot topics, whatever, and she'll say or do something, and I'll come back with her with some kind of deal of, you, you can't do that or don't talk like that or you can't do that, kind of get bossy with her. And so one of her retorts will either be something like, you're not my daddy. <laughs> you're not the boss of me. I don't have to do what you say. I have a Holy Spirit and it ain't you. <laughs> a variety of those kind of responses. And she's absolutely right. Now we're just goofing around, okay? But, but submission does not mean obedience. Where I say this and you have to comply. That's not what submission is. Neither is submission subordinate. It does not mean to be subordinate. It does not mean inferior or less or lower. Some people have this view of submission where the man is the general and the wife is the private. And so the general is greater than the private, has more rights and privileges because he's the general and 
She's the private, and that's the way the relationship is in marriage. That's not what this means. It does not mean subordinate. Submission does not mean that you are inferior in class or nature or importance. Because here's the spiritual principle that we have to get in our mind. Christ submitted to the Father, yet he's fully equal with the Father. So the Son is not inferior to the Father, yet Christ submitted to his Father. So, if this concept is not an assault on the position and the dignity of Christ, then this concept should not be an indictment on the dignity and position of women. Third, what it does not mean, it does not apply to men in general. This isn't saying women have to submit to men. This is in the context of marriage only. And fourth, it doesn't mean that you have to compromise your faith. There's a passage here that has been way misused by a lot of people. Verse 24 says, why should submit to husbands in everything? Some people have jumped on that and really used that as, I want to say what I want to say. And so wives have to submit in everything. In other words, it doesn't matter if it's illegal or immoral or unbiblical, or whatever, that you have to submit and you have to do what I have said do. Some people have used it to say that that gives a right for men to be abusive or to treat their wife poorly and unfairly because you have to submit to me in everything. And that's a total misuse of this scripture. This word everything is in the context. Remember, all of this is in the context of Ephesians 5. It's talking about God's love and God's grace and God's power and living a life uh, to flee immorality and to love and to show all this great stuff we've been talking about. All that's in the context of here. So there's no way he's going to contradict all that and say you have to live like that. And all he's saying there when he uses the word everything is he's simply saying have a spirit of submission. That should be your natural spirit. Just have a spirit of submission. So that's what it doesn't mean. So what is submission? Submission is simply this. It's a voluntary act of yielding honor and surrendering authority. That's all submission is. A voluntary act of yielding honor and surrendering authority. And again, it's a picture of Christ. Picture of Christ is in Philippians 2 where it said, Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he gave that up. He became the form of a servant. In other words, he's equal with God, but he surrendered that authority for a season in this context of the Trinity. And that's all submission is, is that as the wife, I'm going to yield honor to my husband and I'm going to surrender the authority and the leadership paradigm to my husband. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. One is because Scripture says that in verse 23. It's a God-ordained order. Two, it's a reminder, though. It's a picture. Remember, this is a picture between Christ and the church. But third, it's very practical, and that is there can only be one head. There can only be one leader. We don't want the two-headed monster that we diagrammed earlier. So it has to be one leader, and God has ordained that to be the man. So you surrender that authority and that leadership. So what that tells me is, one, husbands, we need to step up to the plate and lead. And wives, let your husband lead. Encourage your husband to lead. Affirm your husband in his leadership role. 
where we're all pulling together and see how it works. So that's the first one, submission. Here's the second one. And that's respect. To give respect to your husband. Verse 33, the wife must respect her husband. That simply means to regard him highly, to speak to him kindly, follow his leadership willingly. Regard him highly and speak to him kindly. Here's a, just a word of encouragement for you as, as wives to your husbands. Praise and encouragement are far more powerful and effective in motivating your husband than nagging or complaining or criticizing, uh, etc. Um, several years ago, I was preaching a little series on marriage and the family from some different passages, but I used this visual, this illustration. Actually, it wasn't a visual. It was more of an, an audible thing. I thought about doing it today, but I'm just going to tell you about it. I, I recorded a loop of water dripping. And so I took that recorded loop to the sound guy and I gave him a cue. I said, hey, at this cue, I want you to start playing over the system this water dripping while I'm talking, while I'm preaching. So I kept talking and all of a sudden you hear this water dripping from the sound system. I had, in, I had instructed him to gradually increase the volume as it goes. So it get, getting louder and louder and louder. This went on for about two minutes. So as I'm talking, trying to teach, this water dripping is getting louder and louder for about two minutes. And as I'm looking out, I can, you, can just see, you can just see people looking around, looking back at the sound guy, getting irritated, getting agitated. You can just feel all the tension and, and all this stuff going on. And so I just kept talking and it kept getting louder. And at the crescendo of that, the water dripping, I read Proverbs 19:13 that said, a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. And what was funny was that it was about a two-second delay and everybody broke out laughing. But what I didn't expect is everybody just broke out and started applauding. It was the craziest response I'd ever seen. What it told me is they, they got that. It, it connected. Quarrelsome here simply means contentious or causing strife, being argumentative. It's the opposite of everything that Paul's trying to say here in Ephesians chapter 5. What he's trying to say when you respect your husband is, man, speak kindly to him. That doesn't mean you can't address difficult issues. What it means is you do it in a kind heart and a kind spirit out of respect to him, not this domineering, nagging, criticizing. It's just a, it's a, a totally different picture. So here's the deal. Here's what he's trying to say. When the man leads and loves and leaves, when the wife submits and respects, everything becomes cohesive and things click well. Then you take that small picture and you make this bigger picture that when I take everything that that. Paul has said in Ephesians about imitating God and living a life worthy and showing love, etc. And I take that in my context to be sure that what God's doing in me, I'm going to take that into my marriage. I'm going to take that into my parenting. I'm going to take that into my workplace so that in every relationship that I'm involved in, that relationship is going to be a relationship where I'm seeking to show love and to shine light and to imitate Christ and to live a life worthy so that my doctrine that he spent three chapters on translates into my lifestyle. And it's not just something that I believe, but it's something that I do in my life. Let's pray together.
I know with this message, some things may not be as applicable to some. Some of you have heard this a lot. But I'm just going to pray that the Spirit would give you a nugget, a two nuggets, something that you can take home this morning and say, I needed to hear that this morning. So I'm just going to invite you to pray about that as we pray together, as we continue to sing this morning, that you would ask the Spirit to take whatever's been taught this morning and speak it into me so that when we leave this morning, we know that we've worshiped, that we've heard from the Spirit of God and that we've been changed. We'll have some prayer team available on the sides. They'd love to talk to you if, while we're singing. If you just want to pray about anything, it doesn't even have to relate to marriage, you can, whatever's going on. If you want to pray with somebody about a decision that's coming up, whatever, they're available. But we'll worship together and allow you a time to respond to what the Spirit's saying to you. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of music. Thank you for the privilege of coming together corporately to worship you and to encourage one another. May you continue to speak and move in us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.